Welcome to this FRT podcast, episode 99, on the Financial Stability Board's work on the G20 Cross-Border Payments Roadmap and Global Stablecoin Arrangements. I'm Lawrence White, consultant to the IAF on digital finance and designated head of the IAF Singapore office, presently working out of my home city of Melbourne, Australia. It's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Eva Hupkus and Mr. Alexander Stervinou, both of the Financial Stability Board Secretariat in Basel, Switzerland. Eva is Head of Regulatory and Supervisory Cooperation at the Secretariat, while Alex is a member of Secretariat focusing on fintech issues. Basel's dear to my own heart is the scene of a happy three-year stint at the FSB Secretariat, which ended in 2019. First, let me start by asking you, Ava, what is the charter of the FSB and what is its role regarding financial innovation? Well, thanks, Lawrence. It's great to speak to you. And I didn't realize it's about already two years that we work together. So uh, very happy to be in touch again and greetings from Basel. Well, the G20 established the Financial Stability Board in 2009 in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. And the FSB's mandate is to promote financial stability through international cooperation and coordination. The FSB monitors and assesses vulnerabilities affecting the global financial system and then seeks to identify the actions needed to address them. And the FSB has a unique composition to do so. Its members are the ministries of finance, central banks and supervisory and regulatory authorities of the G20 countries plus some key financial centers such as Singapore, Switzerland, Hong Kong. And in addition, its membership also includes the standard setters, the Basel Committee, CPMI, the Committee on Payment Market Infrastructures, IOSCO, IAS, and international financial institutions, the BIF, IMF, World Bank, OECD. So it means all the key players who set financial stability policies across different sectors are at the table when policies are agreed, they have the authority to implement them. And as stewards of the public good, financial stability, they take a natural interest in financial innovation and the associated risks and opportunities. So maybe Alex can uh, say a few words about the FSB's financial innovation network. Yes, sure. So when it comes to financial innovation, the FSB has been running for several years a financial innovation network among its members, which is looking at innovations in the financial services sector and any interaction they have with financial stability. We have produced analysis of topics such as cloud computing, artificial intelligence and machine learning, the emergence of big techs in finance, for example. Now, more recently, since mid-2019, the G20 leaders have paid a particular attention to cross-border payments and stablecoins, two topics which have a significant international reach. At the FSB, we have actually created dedicated working groups to address those wider issues. Thanks very much. Uh, Ava, turning now to global stablecoin arrangements, uh, these were identified as potential instruments of concern by the G20, uh, most saliently when Facebook and others formed the Libra, now DM Foundation, and proposed a transnational digital coin backed by a basket of currencies. The proposal has evolved since then to be limited to individual fiat-backed tokens. Uh, As yet, the DM token has not been launched, pending completion of the overarching regulatory arrangements. If I can ask you, uh, Ava, what what were some of the key recommendations of the uh, 
FSB's October 2020 report on the regulation, supervision and oversight of global stablecoin arrangements. Let me start by saying a few words about the origins of the report and recommendations. So about two years ago, and that was at the time, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Facebook announced that it was planning to launch a cryptocurrency structured as a stablecoin. So about two years ago, the G20 mandated the FSB to examine regulatory issues raised by global stablecoins and to do so from a financial stability perspective and to advise as appropriate on multilateral responses that may be needed, taking into account specifically also the perspective of emerging and developing economies. The FSB therefore carried out uh, analysis of the financial stability risks and conducted a comprehensive survey of regulatory, supervisory and oversight approaches covering FSB members, as well as non-FSB members represented on the FSB's regional consultative groups, uh, which uh, cover a number of emerging market economies. We issued a consultative report in April uh, last year and also conducted outreach meetings with representatives, both from regulated financial institutions, financial technology firms, academia, and the legal field. And all this led to the report and the 10 high-level recommendations that were published in October last year. The recommendations are addressed to authorities and focus on privately issued uh, global stablecoins preeminently intended for retail use. The overall objective of the recommendation is to ensure that the stablecoin arrangements, in particular those with the potential to become global or systemic, are subject to comprehensive regulation and supervision that is commensurate to the risk they pose to financial stability. To the extent feasible and practical, the FSB seeks to promote the convergence of rules and regulations across sectors and borders in order to minimize regulatory fragmentation, which could give rise to arbitrage and also make regulating and supervising stablecoins more challenging. Indeed, the focus is on risks to financial stability, so the report doesn't cover comprehensively other issues such as AML, CFT, data privacy, cybersecurity, consumer and investor protection, as well as competition or monetary policy issues. But let me say a few words about the recommendations themselves. The very basic principle underlying the recommendations is same business, same risk, same rules. Well, this sounds simple, but uh, what does this mean? The recommendations promote a function-based and technology-neutral approach. This means, for instance, that if a stablecoin is used as a means of payment, it should be subject to the same stringent regulation as other payment uh, instruments. So we should not look at how a particular instrument is called or labeled, but rather at its economic function and how it is being used. A particular challenge here is that the purpose of function may change over time, and so the regulatory and supervisory approaches that may be needed. Now to the actual content of those recommendations. Uh, the recommendations state that authorities should have the powers and tools and capabilities to regulate and supervise the functions and activities that make up a stablecoin arrangements and to use these powers in line with the risks they pose. So authorities need the requisite powers with respect to both the legal and physical persons that perform those activities or promote those functions. 
And the functions we're talking about are the issuance of stable coins, the redemption of stable coins, the stabilization of the value of the coins, which may involve the management of a reserve, and the transfer, exchange, and storage of stable coins, for instance, in wallets. There are obviously particular cross-border regulatory challenges, given that stable coins travel so easily in cyberspace and across borders. So there is an obvious tension between the borderless nature of the coins and the national mandates of regulators. So the FSB recommendations also emphasize the need for appropriate cooperation and coordination arrangements, both cross-border and cross-sectoral. The recommendations also call for robust risk management frameworks, recovery and resolution planning, and transparency requirements, in particular in relation to the management of a reserve where there is one. And they attach a lot of importance to end-user protection. Uh, so there is a specific recommendation on the need for certainty and legal clarity on the nature and enforceability of any rights of redemption into fiat currency. And this is seen as absolutely critical for users uh, to maintain confidence in the stablecoin. And finally, the recommendations also stress that stablecoin arrangements must meet all applicable regulatory requirements before they commence operations in any jurisdiction. And this last recommendation is critical and has been reiterated in those G20 and G7 declarations. Thanks, Eva. Um, so far, what observations, if any, can be made about the pace of implementation of the FSB's recommendations? As time passes, more and more jurisdictions are adopting uh, re legislation or regulation. For example, last year in September, the European Commission put forward proposals for a comprehensive EU-wide regulatory system for issuers and service providers in the market for crypto assets, the MECAR, the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation. Earlier this year, the UK Treasury launched a consultation on the cross-border regulatory approach to crypto assets and stablecoins. And there was also a discussion paper issued uh, just this week by the Bank of England on new forms of money, including privately issued stablecoins. And then in December last year, the US President's Working Group on Financial Markets issued a statement on certain key regulatory and supervisory considerations. So we're seeing a lot of regulatory developments across FSB jurisdictions, and we see jurisdiction pursue different paths, which are partially determined also by their historical structures and existing regulatory taxonomies. For instance, in some jurisdiction, it's possible to fit crypto assets into existing categories of financial instruments, payments, securities, derivatives, commodities. But in others, it may be more difficult to do so because the categories are more narrowly defined, as is, for instance, the case in the EU, where there is now a proposal for a bespoke regulation of crypto assets. The asset reference tokens. We are currently in the process of taking stock of existing regulatory developments and will report to the G20 in October on the state of play as regards the implementation of the FSB recommendations across FSB jurisdictions as well as the regional consultative group. And we'll be looking at potential gaps or challenges to the implementation of the recommendations that may need to be addressed. Thank you. It seems like there is a, a lot of work underway uh, across many, many jurisdictions. Um, 
Turning to supervision uh, away from regulation for a moment, uh, what, can, what can you say about progress towards the kind of cooperative and or bespoke oversight arrangements for uh, particular global stable coins such as DM that were foreshadowed in the uh, FSB's recommendations? Yeah, the FSB uh, is not itself involved in the operational setup of cooperation arrangements or is not participating in, in those arrangements. However, the FSB high-level recommendations stress the need for authorities to establish cooperation arrangements, which can take the form of supervisory colleges, uh, for instance. And uh, the FSB stressed that these arrangements need to be flexible and help ensure that uh, stablecoin arrangements are overseen in a comprehensive manner so that there is no component uh, of the arrangement that escapes regulation or that exploits regulatory arbitrage in a manner that can lead to gaps or spillovers across jurisdictions. Well, so far, experience is still very limited and authorities' arrangements are necessarily bespoke. We do not have a sort of Basel Concordat for stablecoins that would define who the home and host authorities are, what their respective supervisory and regulatory responsibilities are, and how they should cooperate. And this is because stablecoins are very different from regulated banks. Uh, they're just a loose network of entities with dispersed ownership and control, multiple layers of, of entities uh, form part of an ecosystem that needs to be overseen in a holistic way. We also don't have a deference or equivalence regime under which now one authority in, in one jurisdiction could rely on the supervision by an authority in another jurisdiction where a stablecoin arrangement is established or operated from. So at present, in the absence of any such cross-border arrangement, uh, we may be seeing uh, requirements of local presence as a prerequisite for the retail use of stablecoins in particular jurisdictions. And such local presence requirement enables authorities to then exercise their supervisory authority and enforce regulations in their domestic jurisdictions. But uh, that also means that cross-border cooperation is absolutely critical. And here the FSB provides a forum for the exchange of experience on what makes for effective cooperation and coordination amongst all relevant authorities internationally. And uh, while well, you mentioned Diem, there is certainly a lot to be learned from cooperation in relation to such uh, recent international initiatives. And addressing these cross-border cooperation challenges will likely be one of the focus uh, of our report to the G20 later this year. Thanks, Eva. Um, will there be a list of global stablecoins maintained by the FSB or other global bodies? Uh, and if not, uh, how will people know what counts as a global stablecoin and, and what doesn't? Well, the FSB is not maintaining such a list at present. The FSV, however, identified a set of factors for authorities to consider when determining whether a stablecoin could be qualified as global. And these include, for instance, the extent of the stablecoin's potential use as a means of payment or store of value in multiple jurisdictions, competition dynamics, the openness of the global stablecoin arrangement and extent of integration with digital services of platforms across multiple jurisdictions. At present, there is, however, no stablecoin that has been qualified as global, and there is also not yet an internationally 
coordinated process for designation, such as the one we know for global systemically important banks. However, the FSB, in cooperation with its members, is monitoring and keeping track of initiatives in the private sector um, that uh, may have the potential of becoming uh, global stablecoins. Thank you. And it reminds me that uh, in my time at the FSB, I was closely involved in crypto assets monitoring and uh, uh, indeed was pleased to see some of the some of the channels and risk uh, risk effects that we'd identified in that early work um, sort of finding its way in, in various forms into, into the consultation and, and indeed the uh, final recommendations. What are the key next steps, Ava, for the Basel Committee, the FATF and CPMI and IOSCO around uh, crypto assets and, and stablecoins that would need to be finalised uh, before any global stablecoins uh, could be properly launched um, uh, consistently with the G20 and G7 mm-hmm. um, perspectives? Well, we cannot, of course, speak for the standard setters, but um, all of the standard setting bodies have work underway to review whether and if so, how their existing international standards uh, apply to stablecoin arrangements. There may be need to clarify how individual provisions uh, could be applied. There may be need for further um, guidance on their interpretation or application to stablecoin arrangements. and. Uh, for instance, FATF has provided clarifications on the application of its AML CFT standards to so-called virtual asset service providers, the VASP, and to entity involved in stablecoin arrangements. Uh, CPMI and IOSCO are carrying out an analysis on the application of the PFMIs, the Principles for Financial Market Infrastructures, to stablecoin arrangements. And IOSCO has already issued a report concluding that several principles and standards uh, that it had issues could apply to hypothetical uh, stablecoin offerings. And uh, the Basel Committee is looking at banking exposures to stablecoins and all um, the standard setters um, have work underway and uh, are looking to the FSB recommendation as a a reference. So there is a lot happening at the international level to promote uh, effective and consistent uh, regulation following the general principle set out in the FSB recommendation, which is same business, same risk, same rule. And the objective is to promote consistency across sectors and across jurisdictions and avoid the risk of regulatory fragmentation just to ensure that a stablecoin ecosystem is uh, supervised and and regulated in a um, comprehensive and holistic manner. Alexandra, picking up on the second of our topics to cover today, could you describe briefly the motivation for and objectives set out in the G20 roadmap on enhancing cross-border payments? The G20 has made enhancing cross-border payments a priority because they see that cross-border payment services that are faster, cheaper, more transparent, and more inclusive would have widespread benefits for citizens and economies worldwide, supporting economic growth, international trade, global development, and financial inclusion. Looking at innovation in this highly competitive payments field, from faster domestic payment systems or regional initiatives in that direction, to stablecoins that could become global and be used as payment means, clearly a need to enhance cross-border payments emerged by tackling various issues, such as more consistency across regulatory frameworks, 
technical improvements to existing payment systems and infrastructures, a particular focus on data and standards, and of course, exploring new innovative platforms such as CBDCs and stablecoins. The result of all this is a multi-year roadmap with actually five focus areas, 19 so-called building blocks, which are led by international bodies, and a little more than 70 individual actions to execute on the objective. Thanks very much. And uh, in terms of the consultation document the FSB has just published on targets for addressing the four key challenges of cross-border payments, in other words, speed, cost, inclusiveness and transparency, could you just briefly describe the key proposals in that document? The proposals we have published at the end of May are actually a foundational step in the roadmap to provide a common vision for the improvements that all the actions under the roadmap will make for the experience of end users, those sending and receiving money cross-border. The targets will play an important role in defining and securing the commitment needed at an international level to address the issues identified. They set accountability for what is achieved under the roadmap. And the progress we will measure against the targets will enable us to understand whether the existing robot actions are sufficient or whether additional actions may be needed. A few guiding principles were used when developing the targets. They directly measure progress against the four challenges. They aim to be targets that are not just for technicians, but can be readily understood and related to by users. They also aim to be ambitious yet realistic. And finally, a set of key performance indicators will be developed in order to measure progress at the global level, but also, where appropriate, at regional levels. Now, let me talk about the key proposals, which are the following. To consider, first of all, the different needs of the current markets, which is therefore divided into three broad categories, wholesale payments, retail payments, and then one specific subset of the payments market, cross-border remittance payments. Then to propose numerical targets for cost, speed, access, and transparency in each of those categories. Let me highlight the main proposals for cost and speed, which will for sure attract a lot of attention from stakeholders. On cost first, for retail payments, we are proposing a target of reducing the global average cost of retail payments to 1% by end 2027, with no country corridors higher than 3%. This is really a significant reduction in current costs. To put this in context, current costs for card payments can amount to up to 10% for card issuers. We also reaffirm there the aspiration set by the United Nations on the cost reductions expected for remittances. On speed, we are proposing that for the large majority of payments across all three segments, funds should be available to the recipient within one hour of payment initiation by end 2027, and for the remainder of the market, funds would be available within one business day. Achieving this will involve a number of changes to existing arrangements, technically, but also in terms of streamlining compliance checks without compromising on standards. A close coordination and cooperation of both service providers and regulatory authorities will be required here. Now, for access, we propose that all financial institutions and retail customers have at least one option for sending cross-border payments by the end of 2027, and that more than 90% of individuals who wish to send or receive a remittance payment have access to a means of cross-border electronic remittance payment by end 2027 also here. Finally, to finish off on transparency, 
We are proposing that all payment service providers should provide at a minimum a defined list of information concerning cross-border payments to payers and payees. This includes the total transaction cost, showing um, FX rate and currency conversion charges, terms of service, the time to deliver funds, and information on tracking the funds, all by end 2027 also. Thanks very much. That's very comprehensive, obviously, and, and uh, in many cases, uh, as you say, quite ambitious. Most of the targets have end 2027 as the target date, other than in the remittance space where an end 2030 date that was already there under the UN uh, development goals um, has been retained. Uh, did the FSB task force that put the targets together consider setting intermediate or shorter term targets? And uh, why was that approach not adopted in the final paper? Indeed, end 2027 has been retained as an ambitious but also reasonable timeframe for all changes induced by the roadmap actions to materialize for end users. We have considered other options, such as intermediary steps, but in practice, this would have meant setting different targets within another timeframe and make the overall plan more complex. Those quantitative targets should actually remain simple and easy to grasp by everyone, knowing that we will develop an appropriate monitoring of the progress made, and this will give us the ability to react and adapt to our actions, as said earlier. Thanks, Alex. Um, so when does the consultation close, and uh, when will the targets actually be finalised? The consultation closes on Friday, 16 July, and we plan to submit the final proposal for endorsement by the G20 leaders in October this year. Thanks. And just to note, the IF and others, uh, EPA and others, will be putting together uh, submissions on, on the paper. In terms of a role for industry stakeholders, could you just uh, set out your thoughts around what, what is the industry's role in setting, monitoring targets, possibly in implementing the roadmap more broadly? Let me first say that when developing the targets, we consulted with selected industry stakeholders on the design principles and the overall approach, which seems to gather consensus. But of course, now concrete numbers and a date are on the table, and we anticipate some reaction from the market. We welcome comments as constructive as possible on our proposals, also with background information and reasoning that would be treated confidentially by the FSB. Another area where the industry will be most helpful is regarding monitoring of the progress and data sources used for this important part. We do not anticipate a heavy monitoring framework to be put in place, essentially to not put additional reporting burden on stakeholders. So we have to work with the industry here to set up what has to be a reasonable yet reliable mechanism for measuring progress. Now more broadly, implementing the roadmap means a close cooperation with the private sector. We took this as a must from day one, as the actual design of the roadmap last year was conducted with regular checkpoints with the stakeholders through a variety of outreach events and consultations. We and other bodies in charge of individual actions will definitely carry on with this approach, with several stock takes and events uh, spanning across building blocks on the roadmap. So it's really a key point here to stress cooperation between the public sector and the private sector. Thanks very much. Um, Alex, looking beyond this consultation, what, what are the other key building blocks of the roadmap that the FSB is driving, either solely or jointly, as opposed to monitoring? Uh, how will the FSB progress these uh, elements in 2021 and 2022? 
Many international bodies are responsible for driving things forward here. To be complete, I should mention CPMI, which is leading or co-leading the effort on more than half of the building blocks of the roadmap, the BIS, and especially its innovation hub for exploratory actions through, for example, TechFest events and pilots, FATAF for AML-CFT-related uh, topics, the IMF and the World Bank, with a strong development of public authorities, including ministries of finance and central banks. The FSB is coordinating the overall progress, but is also more directly implementing key building blocks, namely on aligning regulatory, supervisory and oversight frameworks and enhanced implementation monitoring for international guidance and principles, on the interaction between data frameworks and cross-border payments, on digital IDs for end users and businesses and sharing KYC information between authorities across jurisdictions, and finally, on stable coins, uh, a topic we have um, explored a little bit earlier here. Work is ongoing in each of those areas, and it's a little early to share any insights, but the full progress report will be made as part of the reporting to the G20 scheduled for October. On this, by the way, the FSB is committed to report on progress in implementing the roadmap each year in order to keep the momentum. We are convinced that this and the monitoring of progress made on the targets will give full visibility to the public and are in effect necessary tools to support the actions and change engaged. Thanks very much. And uh, the FSB must keep the roadmap under review and it's explicitly a, a flexible plan. Uh, are there already some lessons learned or issues to be considered? I could maybe stress two things. First, that we are working on tight deadlines and significant efforts and commitment are required from all parties involved in implementing the actions for this year. Those are quite important as they often form the basis for further analysis that will develop into concrete changes in 2022 and beyond. For example, adaptation of international frameworks, technical and operational advances for existing payment systems and infrastructures. Second, that all this is really a cooperation exercise, as said again earlier. Between public authorities, of course, but also with the private sector and a wide range of businesses active in the payment space. We have a real game changer here with the G20 roadmap and the scale of its actions. And I think this has been well perceived and actually welcomed by the industry. Thanks so much, Alex. That's been a really great briefing on, on that important uh, consultation paper. And we look forward to continuing engagement uh, with you and your colleagues around that. I'd like to wrap up perhaps by uh, referencing uh, some strands of the IF's own work, which uh, perhaps uh, echo uh, some of the themes that have been mentioned today. On cross-border payments, the IIF, the Emerging Payments Association, EPA, and EPA Asia have launched the IIF EPA Global Payments Forum. This forum is designed to engage with the global standard-setting bodies, including the FSB and CPMI, around implementation and design of the roadmap. We've had a couple of meetings of the forum so far and members are finding it a great platform to meet the regulators face-to-face. -face. We'll also be crafting written submissions in response to the FSB consultation paper on targets, as I already mentioned. On digital ID, we're working with the Open ID Foundation on our Open Digital Trust Initiative. This seeks to foster an open and interoperable digital trust ecosystem where financial institutions that wish to leverage high degrees of client trust can act as assurance providers and relying parties with client consent as part of a vibrant uh, ecosystem and market. 
The IAF also continues to lead industry discussions around global stablecoins and digital currencies, for example, by hosting our April the 6th roundtable on digital currencies events. And indeed, uh, a recent podcast, uh, episode 97 uh, of the FRT podcast series, we spoke with uh, City researchers Ronit Gols about his new report on the future of money crypto, CBDCs, and 21st century cash. And just touching on a couple of other FRT podcasts that may be of interest to listeners, we spoke very recently to Professor Douglas Arner of the University of Hong Kong Faculty of Law to get his perspective on platformization. For our 100th episode, we have a very special guest coming in, Axel Weber, Chairman of UBS, Chairman of the IF Board and a former President of the Deutsche Bundesbank. In closing, on behalf of the IF, I'd like to thank very warmly indeed Eva and Alexandra for giving us your valuable time and insights today. I'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay connected, stay safe and goodbye.